Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is the World Cup on Caught Offside. Ronaldo! Oh, it's come on, Tom! Ronaldo! Brazil in front! It's Ronaldo! And Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! And it's a concert! And Germany are the champions of the world. It's Mbappé! Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and JJ. Oh, yes! Caught offside from just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney, we have our final, and it's gorgeous. What's up, brother? It's a beautiful final. It's a final that some of us in our maybe weaker moments were thinking, hey, wouldn't it be great if Morocco made the final? No, 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 no. This is the best final. Now... If Morocco had made the final, would I still be excited? Absolutely. Of course. Or, or Croatia, indeed, for that matter. But we've got the final. It's a marquee final. It's the big hitters. I mean, it's a final where it's just like, sometimes you get these finals where the storylines just write themselves. Like, you don't even have to do any work. You know, Messi in his last World Cup, going against the defending champion. Mbappe trying to inherit the crown of, you know, world's greatest player, from this guy that he's going to be going up against who happens to be his teammate at club level. Like, it's just like, it's they're everywhere. You know, Deschamps, not really respected as a manager, but going for the first back-to-back World Cup since Brazil in 58 and 62. It's just, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. So we're going to spend the next, I don't know, however long we feel like being here, talking about how we got to this final with these two teams in the semifinals. Um, also, JJ, I'm very excited about this. I mean... When I say one of our favorite people, I say it all the time, but I mean, if it, the, the, the caught offside OGs will know going all the way back to the beginning, Jeff Carlisle was maybe our first guest. Uh, he was really early on. No. Our first guest was Hope Solo. That's not true. It is true. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not. And unfortunately, there's well, no way it's... of proving it because I can't find the original episodes. The first month doesn't exist. Are they in the Smithsonian? They should be. 
But at any rate, this is a long-winded way of saying that he's going to join us in a little bit because there's just, uh, obviously, there's still the Reina stuff that we're kind of, you know, we put, we picked through it the other night. If you haven't had a chance, um, we did a YouTube exclusive. Uh, so check out the Cut Offside YouTube page. Subscribe, like as well. All those things help. Turn Leave your comments on. calling us shills for the big bear halter conspiracy. Whatever, do that too. Yeah, whatever it takes to get you there. If that's if that's what you need to do, go for it. But so we gave our thoughts the other night on the YouTube um, session about the uh, the Reina bear halter situation. But we wanted to speak to somebody who's been entrenched, who's been around this team, who knows these guys and what they're all about. So uh, Jeff is going to join us a little bit to share his thoughts on that and then kind of just give the pulse of the World Cup as a whole, uh, what this tournament, how it'll be remembered for the U.S., where he stands or where things stand in general with Bearhalter, and uh, what it was like being there in Qatar. Um, so It's called putting a bow on the U.S. side of the World Cup. Exactly right. Exactly right. So it, that should be a great conversation. I've been looking forward to that for a while. Um, and we're appreciative. He just got home recently. He's probably still wiped, but he's uh, not too wiped to join us, which is super cool of him. We appreciate it very much. So that's coming up in a bit. But, J.J., let's talk about the semifinals. Uh, I guess we'll start with the more recent one, the one that is still most fresh in people's minds. France advancing past Morocco. Uh, I'll start with this. My only regret, I, ultimately, Morocco advancing to the final, like you said, it would have been really cool. I'm not upset that France got there because it does leave us with a stunningly beautiful final between Argentina and France. I will say this. My my one true regret is that Morocco did not score a goal in that game because we talk a lot about Scottish lungs. JJ Moroccan lungs were on full display and they just, they were so loud and they were so into that game and they were so emotional. They just didn't have that moment to really explode. I wish it had happened. I just do. Yeah, and, and I think their supporters, you'd have to ask, actually, you'd have to ask the question, what would this World Cup be have been from a spectator standpoint without the Moroccans and the Argentinians. I think it would have been much the poorer tournament for both, but the Moroccans have been unbelievable. The whistles, every time French players got possession of the ball was Amazing. was just deafening. Um, and they've, le they've left one of those. So I think every country, or not every country, it, always, it doesn't always happen, but there's some countries that leave a little mark on a World Cup and they're generally a minnow so in 1990, it was Cameroon, or for some people, the Republic of Ireland, got to the quarterfinal, played this unique brand of football. And then in, in 1994, you could say maybe Sweden getting all the way to, to the semifinal. That was something special, something different. Um, and this is one of those tournaments where you remember a famous run by Morocco. And they really, they really enhanced the tournament. And, and coming into this game, they'd only conceded one goal and it was an own goal like they were they were truly a, a fantastically well-organized team but we'll uh, we'll get to more of that i suppose well you want to start with the morocco stuff because i i mean we'll, we'll go with maybe the legacy that they'll leave behind from this tournament and then we'll get into france who went on and actually won this game um you know it, it's interesting so this was just the third non-uefa or conmebol team to reach a semifinal. can you name the other two non uefa or Comnibol to reach a semi-final. Yeah. Um, no, go on. South Korea in 02. Oh, yeah. And then 1930, JJ, that's right, the United States of America. Now, the format of that is was very different. Um, I feel like there should be an asterisk, but the oh, US... Was that the World Cup where we sold um, a FIFA 
10,000 tons of grain from Iowa, and that got us into the semifinal. There are genuinely wild stories about that World Cup. Go online and just and you can find some. Uh, I think there was one with a manager who accidentally chloroformed himself during a match and had to be revived. Like there are bizarre, <laughs> wild stories. The Egyptian team, I think, missed. There were a bunch of teams crossing the Atlantic that were going to take a, a steamship together uh, to get to the World Cup. The Egyptians were late and missed it, and therefore just didn't participate. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I mean, like the, the stories of that World Cup are just—they're truly amazing. But yeah, the U.S. are part of that threesome. Pretty, pretty amazing. Um, yeah. But so I wonder now about the legacy of this Moroccan side, because um, it's just so interesting to me that we've, you know, we've had great African teams of the past. We've talked about Senegal, Cameroon, Nigeria. You know, you could throw Ivory Coast in there, the the Drogba years. Ghana has certainly had some good runs in World Cups. Um, But in the end, it's Morocco that now carries this mantle of being the first African nation to reach a semifinal. And you can't say it's not appropriate. I mean, we want to talk about golden generations. Look up and down that roster. I mean, this is a really impressive team. And so, I mean, if you want to go really big picture with legacy stuff, you know, Morocco has tried and failed five times to host a World Cup. They're a part now of the 2030 bidding process. And I just wonder if there will be uh, maybe a stronger appetite to give them a, a chance, even if it's some kind of joint bid. There's been talks of Tunisia and Algeria. Um, well, who knows? We'll see. That The decision on that isn't made until 2024, so we're still a couple years away. But I do think that them going on a run, this was very well-timed if they want to get some sort of backing. You saw the enthusiasm of the fans, you know, for the most part. Sometimes their 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 soccer wasn't great, but I think they were a team that everyone neutrals got behind. Uh, there seems to be some good feelings around a bid that maybe a few years ago we would have kind of rolled our eyes at. So who knows? That's uh, that's bigger than maybe what we were looking to discuss, but just something I was kind of thinking about um, in the wake of what was a really successful tournament for them. Clint Smith, the um, writer at The, uh, the Atlantic, uh, he tweeted this, Morocco have so much to be proud of. Defeated some of the top teams in the world, went further than any African nation in history, went further than any Arab nation in history, scored great goals, defended with conviction, danced with their families, inspired so many. And I think that's, that is their legacy. I mean, look at the teams they took on and beat in the knockout stage. Never, like, okay, they had a, they had a wild, wild group to get through. Yeah, they drew with Croatia and beat Belgium. They did it. Then they come out and they've got like Spain, handle Spain, handle Portugal. Well, and, handle. Uh, I and, mean, they beat Spain. It went to penalties, but I get what you're saying. I mean, they handled them. There's no two ways about it. Spain, Spain couldn't play through them. They couldn't do anything. Uh, they've been. They're a triumph for organization. A little bit of flash, flashy play, but this game, if if we want to go to the game against France, Andrew. Yeah. There was one thing that I touched on in the last podcast, and it, it was just a, a theme of the Spanish game and a theme of the Portuguese game. As good as Morocco were, there was this overwhelming sense, even more than the U.S. that I got with them, that they were never going to... Like, say, for example, against Portugal, where that game is tight, Portugal are pouring people forward and Morocco have chances on the break and they put these quick moves together. Once they got anywhere close to that box or inside that box, they fell apart. Oh, it, felt, a, it felt very U.S. to me. 
Yeah, but I think it was I think it was even worse than than the malaise in in the penalty box that the US have. I think it was even more defined. And today it really really kind of hurt them. And I mean they dominated possession against the French. Like who who would have dreamt that? I guess I guess I suppose against Didier Deschamps France that's kind of what he wants that's really. How, that's how they play. Like they have a style. Yeah, I think but we even like this. like this is It's still you know, it's still Morocco, though. But I, I went through the chances, um, and you know, there was the okay, the shinned bicycle kick aside, which was it's their best chance of the game. No, well, I mean, late in the the game was decided, but I guess in the ninety fourth minute, they had that ball pinging around in the box that somehow didn't go in. It, it felt like it was headed for the net, but it, it well, didn't. I I think that three moves in the second half, they had the Atiliala run where it ends up being cut out by a brilliant piece of f- defending by Kanate because that ball's coming right through to Ziyech, I think, right in front of the goal. Yeah, and that's 1-1. That's, one, that's one. right. Then there was the turnover by uh, uh, Hamdala, who dribbles through and inexplicably gets to almost the six-yard, and you're just screaming all the way through, just, just shoot it, kick the ball. Uh, no shot taken, gets it taken off him. I think it goes for a corner. And then Atiala again... His run later on, that's cut back in, and and it was such a typical cutback too. He's right on the end line. His cutback nearly goes outside the box. You know, this is Morocco aversion to the goal. The ball comes back in, and it's uh, Hamadala again, and he, I don't know how he doesn't get a connection on it. He connects with his knee, and it's cleared away from in front of the goal. It's like they had really, really good chances, but um, but the. The crucial thing for me in this game, Andrew, was if France were going to make sure that the Moroccans couldn't get, kind of get comfortable, that was make sure first, don't let them score first, and second, score first yourself. And they did that. They did it very early on. Fifth minute, Teo Hernandez uh, on a move. You know, I know you've mentioned his name several times throughout the tournament. There's been a spotlight, of course, on Mbappe, but... I mean, if we're going to talk about like the, the unsung hero of this tournament, Antoine Griezmann has to be it. Uh, he set up that first goal incredibly with the, with the turn. Um, you know, there was a little bit of you know pinging around of the ball. And Teo Hernandez, I don't want to take credit away from him. The the distance that he was able to get his leg up in the air on on top of that ball to knock it back into the ground, it was really Such impressive diff- stuff. Very difficult. I mean, you had Mbappe in the box. The deflection is just it, pop, it pops up in the air. Now, I thought I was just being. Typical me finding fault with the keeper. And then I, 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 I put it out there and I said, I'm probably being harsh. Brilliant finish by Teo Hernandez, which it was. But when the ball hops up and hangs for that long, Bono's got to do better, Andrew. You know? He's got to uh, save again, the ball it's, it's one with of those, or without you. It, it's it, with <laughs> or without you. You know? Did you get the link there? No? Yeah, I, Bono. I did Bono. Put, you too. Yeah, yeah I, I get it. You want confetti? What do you need? A laugh track? <laughs> I'll give you whatever you want. Yeah, I thought uh, seriously though. I thought he, I thought he needed to try and be aggressive, make a play on it. Maybe there's a part of him that's a bit. They're all all goalkeepers now are a bit shell shocked by uh, an incident we'll talk about in the Argentina Holland game, which I'm not sure that they should really be shell shocked by, but. Maybe perhaps the the goalkeeper's special treatment is crumbling before our eyes. The empire of well-treated goalkeepers is falling apart. But um, a really, really good goal. 
And, and But in the lead up to it, can I just say, Morocco did one thing that they never did against Spain and they never did against Portugal. And I, I can't remember who it was. Our listeners will chime in. Someone jumps the gun. Someone tries to win a ball, nip in front of Griezmann and get it when they didn't need to. You keep your shape, you hold your position, you push him back infield. And he tries to win it. And it's a sharp turn from Griezmann who's been, like, honestly, probably the player of the tournament. And... Um, and he's gone. And that's it. And that's the difference. That little bit maybe of mental fatigue or tiredness. Um, and that's it. And it should also be mentioned that Morocco started the game with two players who were not fit. Um, Roman Sice was had to go off in the middle of the first half. And then um, the fullback, uh, Muzare, had to, had to come off as well, who wasn't, wasn't 100%. He came off at halftime. And an additional player who was originally, who was it, Aguerd, was listed in the starting 11 and wound up not. He removed beforehand. Broke uh, down in the warm-up. So, like, and, and just to contrast now, just to contrast, because uh, we're, we're talking about this game as if it was a game of equals. Um, Rabiot is in his sickbed in some kind of quarantine scenario, and they don't want to let him out. So they bring in Fofana, who, okay, it didn't, I didn't feel that Fofana and too, uh, too many really worked that well, but okay, whatever. But l- look at centre-back. They're able to bring in Kanate, who is ar- arguably a better player than Upamecano. And, and certainly, I thought, was tonight. You know, that's, that's levels. Morocco just don't have that. JJ, uh, we have to talk about this. What's going on with France right now, this is incredible. I mean, like, people on, on Twitter or wherever can check me if I'm wrong, but, like, this feels unprecedented to me. Like, this, for me, it's become, like, a game unto itself of just, like, okay, let, let's let just keep going here. How Like, how many guys would need to be hurt and unavailable for them before they would no longer be an incredible team? This is madness with the names. Like, you could almost field, an, 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 like, a separate starting 11 that could contend to win this World Cup of guys who are French, who, are, who weren't available today. Well, that's true. And um, But if you look at it, like I just had a quick uh, flick through the subs. Camavinga's there. I could just slide him in. I'll slide in Kanate, who is, you know, probably in the future going to be one of Liverpool's best defenders. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy what they have. Did you hear what Amrabat said afterwards? He was interviewed and he said, look, he was asked about the French. He said, look, they could put out two teams in this tournament. Easily. And yeah, three. That's and that's not including the, the injured. Right. I'm saying if you include the injured guys, like you could maybe have three teams, all of whom get to like the quarterfinals. I mean it's it's I amazing. think you might be you're probably pushing it, but but the the point is in, in your exaggeration, your point is well made. Like it's this this was not a game of equals. And um you know, I I, I just thought Morocco battled so well and um they 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 were really good tonight but but France in their very French World Cup way did enough. Yep. Uh and then they added the second uh, again I mean we talked about Griezmann setting up the first and Mbappe playing a huge role in the second so good with the ball at his feet just intricately kind of dancing between defenders again took a little bit of luck as the ball was deflected um but then tucked home uh for the second and that was uh, look there was always a chance there was still maybe enough time left uh for Morocco to get back into it but 
again, to make another U.S. parallel goal scoring in this tournament, for whatever success Morocco have had, it hasn't necessarily been at that end of the pitch. It's just they've defended very well and they've scored timely goals like against Spain. You know, they were able to force penalties and, and win there thanks to some incredible goalkeeping. So, you know, it was once that second one went in, it felt like it was always kind of going to be a bridge too far. And the clock was was striking midnight on this uh, Cinderella story. There was um, one interesting thing, I, I think, from tactically from the game, and I want to give credit to Deschamps for doing it. Uh, if you remember in the second half, I think it was just inside the second half, <laughs> Mbappe takes off and Amrabat comes out of the center to go with him. And Mbappe just absolutely toasts him, cuts it back to no one, right? The second time he goes to do that, Amrabat goes in. And no, I, I didn't think it was a foul, but it was, it, it was dangerous because he's gone with two feet. And he cleans the ball and cleans Mbappe as well in, in, uh, in the act of doing so. And after a little bit of this and, and seeing Mbappe get stamped on, it was like Deschamps made a really clever decision. And he said, let's take Mbappe out of the wing side, out of the firing line, play him a bit more central, bring Turam on, have him go up and down the left and take, take the abuse and uh, kind of you know, look, um, look after my star striker a little bit. Another thing that a lot of journalists who were at the game saw, and I don't think I noticed it as much, and I, I, don't, I really don't know why I, I missed it. Um, so I'm, I'm certainly not giving my credit, myself credit for this, but um, Theo Hernandez like, was absolutely overwhelmed in the second half as like Morocco moved everything to the right-hand side. So they had Ziyech and they had Hakimi going up against him. And who was occupying that left-hand side of the French attack and should have been tracking back was Mbappe. And um, uh, I think it was Gavin Cooney of the 42 described it as, you know, an exquisite unwillingness <laughs> to track back. Like it really is something like, to get to that level of demigod player where you're like, not helping you, not doing it. And, and you know, he will run back and stand there, all right, but he's not putting himself about. He knows what his role is, and it is just so clearly not to get involved in anything that might be described as the work element. Uh, I mean, again, to, to go back to it, like, I guess they can get away with that because Griezmann, like in his new role, he's doing that. He's getting like how many it felt like he was back in the box, you know, defending, clearing balls. Like, you're so right. You're so right. He's become like a box to box midfielder yes. in some ways. Yes. Yeah. I'm just, I'm so impressed with, with what he's done in this tournament. Um, it's, it's really been something. Uh, and so it is France. The Moroccan story comes to an end, but it was a great one. And, uh, Whatever the lasting takeaways are from this World Cup, they will be right near the front of that list. Uh, but another who is vying to be at the actual front of that list, JJ, is Lionel Messi. This is this was the story of all stories before this tournament began. In what we assume will be his final World Cup, could Messi finally check that box that has eluded him and take home this World Cup trophy? Uh, well, he's close. He's right on the damn doorstep as Argentina advanced to the final in what I think was really their best performance so far. Croatia did not offer much. Argentina were in control of this one. Uh, this was this was a pretty impressive performance. 3-0, it goes to the Argentines and Croatia go out. Luka Modric most likely his final World Cup. 
might still be a part of them for the Euros in 24. That's not been confirmed one way or another just yet. So it doesn't, you know, I know he got an ovation coming off. The team all stood and applauded for him as he came off in like the 81st minute or so. He was exhausted, was not his best performance. Um, no. But uh, so we might see him again in, in a Croatian uniform. That remains to be seen. But Messi remains the story right now. He is, he's right there, JJ. This narrative that we've all kind of been pushing along down the line. It was questioned after the Saudi Arabia loss, but they have bounced back, and here they are into the final. How worried were you when, before the first goal, and we'll say, oh, must have been 25, 30 minutes in, um, where it was, maybe it was, yeah, it was 25 minutes. Messi starts kind of grabbing the back of his oh, hamstring. Yeah, yeah. And like properly feeling it. And I stopped watching the game, I just stopped... Or, I focused solely on him. And I was like, come on. Oh, yeah. Don't yeah. do this now. <laughs> and he was clearly, I mean, he like we all know that he walks a lot now. I understand that. And then he bursts. But I was like, Jesus, please not now. Because that would have devastated us all. Like, really, dev not, not to mention his, um, his Qatari employers, both the PSG and um, those organizing the World Cup. They, I mean... To not have him in the final against Mbappe, another Qatari employer, would have been... No, you would have felt I mean, empty. There would have been an empty feeling if that had happened. But for everyone, I'm being a bit cynical there, um, but for everyone, for supporters, everybody, and I'm like, no, come on now. And then he went on a little burst, and I thought, oh, okay, he's all right. He's okay. Um, and the goal, so the first goal, um, the I... Yeah, I don't understand. I, I was, I guess maybe Croatia's run had blinded me to the deficiencies of Dejan Lovren. But I just don't understand what was going on there. Now, I didn't, I, I didn't love uh, Gvardiol's positioning. I didn't think it was great, but I thought because Lovren was deeper, he could, he could help the situation. But he kept Alvarez on side and then kind of did this weird thing where, again, I'll go back to it. You know, if you don't play FIFA a lot and you, and, and you have a marked player and he's your player and suddenly he's running in a direction you don't want. And you're like, oh, why is he going there? Yeah. That's how I felt with Lovren. It's like, what are you doing? Oh, no. And then I realized that I'd seen this so many times with Lovren before. The self-proclaimed greatest defender in the world at the last tournament, yeah. mind you. Yeah, he said that. Look... Anyway, he had some kind of a brain fart, lost his mind, and Alvarez is in. And I don't, there is no point wasting people's time about the penalty. It's a penalty. Yeah, yeah. Now, you did text me and you said, how do you feel about that one? Well, because I understand there's a controversial nature to it because it's, it's one that, I don't know, you don't usually see it look like when a guy gets the shot off yeah. and then the, the contact comes you don't usually see that given. I think this one is different because like you can call it a shot, but Alvarez potentially still could have gotten to that ball. I don't think he would have. There, there was a covering defender there um, that I don't think Alvarez would have been able to beat, but there's still some uncertainty as to whether or not he would have been able to impact the play. And so he was, you know, with the ball still in play, he was tackled. Um, so I, so I, I was fine with that. So in Qatar, the ITV studio, Gary Neville, Roy Keane, Ian Wright, to a man, said it wasn't a penalty. Really? And then P Peter Walton, who was their referee and expert, 
who was in another studio analysing it, who was 100% right, exactly explained that it's a penalty. And he, he also made the point, which I thought of, but he put it better. If, if that happens out the field, say in, the, in, in, in midfield, a guy flicks it beyond another fella and is clattered into by an opposition player, it's a free kick. And if it happens in the box, it's a penalty. And um, it, it was stunning. It was, it was trending at half time. was that these guys, someone did something very, very clever, Andrew, on Twitter. I think it was Sounds of Football podcast. So they ran the commentary. Excuse me. They ran the studio analysis of Keane, Wright and Neville on ITV. And then instead of splicing in the Alvarez Croatian goalkeeper incident, they spliced in Batistan. Uh, being taken out by Schumacher in 84. Uh, was it 84? 82. Where he just like, he remember he broke his jaw, knocked him unconscious, and he had to be taken to hospital. Like, Battiston comes out and just goes, I'm not going for the ball. Boom, and hits him. And they splice that in instead. It's so funny when you watch it. Like, um, But yeah, Peter Walton stood his ground. And, and, and uh, yeah. Um, and then we were treated to that goal. Then again, Croatia are caught out because don't forget in both goals, Croatia are the ones in the in the opposition um, on the attack really. And I thought Croatia for the first thirty minutes were really good. I thought they were going to make it tough. Well, maybe not really good, but I thought it was going to be a much tighter game. And then uh, <laughs> um, Alvarez scores the worst best goal you're likely to see. It's a great way of putting it. Yeah, because it's a it's a lengthy run, so like the the momentum of it build it builds as he's going. But just like I mean, the ball was pinged around how many times? The fact that he managed to keep control of it through each deflection was really impressive, <laughs> and then the finish itself was impressive. But when you watch it on the replay, it's just like, well, you know, it, you don't get this far without a little bit of luck. And and oh. there was there was certainly a whole bunch of it on that one. Juranovic should have cleared it twice. I think it played back off him twice. And then poor old Sosa, who people would think has had a really good tournament. Now, he's on the highlight reel for two of the best goals of the tournament. For the Alvarez goal there and falling over, being bullied out of it by Neymar for his goal. Now, he did get his revenge, but it's just... He's posterized twice um, in in big games. And, And ball goes in the net. And the game is over then, really, isn't it? Felt like it. It felt like it. Uh, Croatia, you know, just, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think back on their, their really quality chances, and there's not many to pick from. Uh, and then in the second half, the icing on the cake. Quick throw in, and Messi just, I mean, again, like, you forget sometimes how fast he is. You know, because like you say, he does walk a lot, but these short bursts where suddenly he just takes off with the ball at his feet, but then he stops. It's just like the the hesitation, the stutter steps. You think he's going one way, he spins back around and just creates, you know, creates something from nothing. Um, and, and there's it's amazing Alvarez to finish it for his second. Right, and I don't think Guardiola, who again, oh my God, going into this game, the name on everyone's lips. Like if you were picking your eleven, how many people had like Guardiola and Sice at centre back or yeah. You know, like, he was so good. But Messi gets it, megs him the first time, goes round him. Messi realizes, I'm not going to burst past him with pace. He'll probably catch up to me. Cuts back again. Cuts again. Takes him out of it. Goes to the end line. Megs him. for The, the cutback actually megs Gvardiol. 
and uh, Alvarez just just taps home. And Andrew, that's an iconic moment. Mm. Um, this is how it sounded from someone recording it in the stands. And and you've probably seen the camera video of it. It's gone viral a billion times. Uh, but this is how it sounds. And you can almost from the crowd, in your mind's eye, if you've seen the video, tell what Messi is doing by the sounds. Unbelievable. Just like, that's an iconic moment now. That is right there. Now, again, it will all be kind of factored into whether he does the job on Sunday, which is now the question I guess we've got to ask ourselves. Um, Yeah. Yep. You're absolutely right. Now, before we get to that, JJ, we'll talk a little bit about that here, but I want to tell you that this podcast, of course, as has been the case throughout this World Cup, is brought to you by DraftKings, JJ. That's right. The best soccer teams in the world are competing for the Cup. DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is where to go to bet on the tournament. New customers can bet just $5 on any team and get $150 in free bets if your pregame money line bet wins. For even more action, go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, toggle on the same-game parlay feature, and combine multiple bets for a shot and an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use code OFFSIDE, kick in $5 on any team, and get $150 in free bets if your pregame Moneyline bet wins. That's code OFFSIDE, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. See state-specific responsible gambling resources and terms at DraftKings.com slash soccer. I have the odds here in front of me now, JJ. Actually, wow, they literally just, like, I just clicked on the page and they just changed. It's it's all happening very quickly. Um, So we're left with, of course, the Argentina-France final. It's a beaut. Uh, Right now, Argentina to, uh, to win in regular time is plus 185, uh, France plus 175. So it's it's pretty even right now. I think that's that's about right, I would say. Um, I mean, look, I th- I guess I would say I think France are, are better than Argentina, but, I mean, the, like the power of Messi has me under some kind of spell right now. Mm. I mean, I, I think if you go through it man for man, uh, I, I would look at it and say France are the are the better team. But I, I but if you want to sway me and convince me why, no, 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 you're seeing it wrong. I, I'm listening. Yeah, I'm. I think it's going to be a very tight game. I think because of the nature, of the the way that the French play, um, you know, there there'll be nobody. They're not going to blow Argentina away. I I, it's not going to be a repeat of the round of sixteen match, was it in the 2018 mm-hmm. World Cup? Yeah, I think they're significantly different. In that respect, um, I'm wondering how much of a factor will be the partisan crowd. I mean, this is going to be, would you say, 80 to 90% Argentinian in that stadium? I mean, 90, I don't know. That that feels strong. But then again, any neutral that's there will probably be pulling for Argentina and Messi because it just feels like that's that's the thing that neutral fans want to see. Um, so maybe... I mean, not 90%. That's a huge number. 
I, I'm talking about, I'm, I'm not talking about guys who live in Qatar and go, like, they, those people don't count. I'm talking about the hardcore traveling supporters. Like, Argent, Argentina has turned up en masse at this tournament, Andrew. Yeah. I mean, every single game I see, it's, it's mostly Argentinian supporters. Um, and, I, and I think they'll dominate it again. And that kind of weight. Uh, did you see the interview with Messi as well, where I, I couldn't, for the life of me, find who the, 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 the lady was who was interviewing him, but she went in, she was obviously Argentinian. And I mean, for the latter part of the interview, it was just her saying how much uh, he means to the country, what he's done means, and how relaxed Messi was receiving this. Relaxed, relaxed and accepting, not the kind of rabbit in the headlights we saw in Russia in, 2000, in 2018. And he accepted this almost nodding along. And, you know, she said that even if they don't win on Sunday, he's already, you know, a hero. And she calls him, she calls him captain as well. Now, this is, this is not, I don't, I mean, it's not exactly journalism, but at the same time, it was kind of, it was moving to watch it. Yeah, uh, I did see that. And, you know, it's interesting too, because Messi's history with Argentina is a little bit checkered. Um, you know, it did not start well. And I don't even mean just from the perspective of him not winning trophies. I mean, just the fact that he left so young to go to Barcelona's academy, to go to La Masia. Right. I mean, he was, in many respects, he was almost viewed as a Barcelona man and like the Argentine, like his ties to Argentina. Catalonian. Were, yeah, yes, more specifically. And his ties to Argentina were such an afterthought. And I think that his, you know, countrymen in Argentina felt that way about him. I don't know if resentfulness is, is quite the word. That might be too strong. But um, I feel like the this, this godlike figure, maybe it's always existed in certain circles, but I feel like that's that's almost been a later emergence for him with with his I, country. I, I think maybe in the last two years, um, I know there was no supporters at the Copa America final in twenty one, but it did mean a lot for them to to get that over the line and get that done. And but um, Tim Vickery has been talking on other podcasts. I think it was on Off the Ball, and he says Messi is more is become Argentinian now. You know, he's he's got this like look at the way he went up to. And again, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm engaging in football stereotypes here, people. I'm not engaging in, uh, you know, um, xenophobic commentary Disclaimer or anything received. like that. Just, just to make sure. But Tim was saying he's become Argentinian, and like there is that more kind of aggressive side to him on the field, like the way he dealt with Wout Weghorst. Like in the middle of an interviewer, like the interviewer had to say, tranquilo, Leo, tranquilo to him. <laughs> while he's like calling uh, Veghorst a fool. Keep, keep, yeah, run along, fool. That kind of uh, sense. Right. The way he went up and faced off to, to Van Hal. Yeah. I mean, it was literally like, you know, two Barca guys going head to head. Yeah. Um, but there was no, there was no need for it. Like ordinarily Messi wouldn't have done that. And that was in victory. So he's got like, he's, he's feeling himself in a, in a very, Argentinian way. Well, you There's, are a monster. You know what I'm I mean. I'm kidding. No, it's brought yeah. out like a, a a mean streak in him. Like you know. No, I mean, I mean, an, an aggression and a passion that, like, now, now he's not like he was so quiet for again, and I'm 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 paraphrasing Tim here too. He's been so quiet for all of his career. Now he's mouthy, and I I, I think he's been he's been unleashed a bit. Um, it, He's uh, 
I don't know. There's an edge now. I feel like so, somewhere out there, Diego Simeone is watching and just thinking, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, but we can think of so many of them. Like they were Argentinian players like, you know, even Ortega, you know, even the skillful ones, Ortega, Maradona, Riquelme, um, Batistuta. They all, like Simeone, like you said, they all had an edge. They all had a little something about them. Yeah. And that, and 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 he has that where he was definitely much more quieter and introspective, and now we're seeing kind of a bad boy. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting look on him. Um, JJ, I'm I'm going to look this up just to be sure, but I believe I saw that with Argentina advancing to the final, it will be the first time that an MLS player uh, has reached the uh, the World Cup final in Diego Almeida for Argentina. Oh so. yeah. Yep. So there's okay. uh, so there's a little more history. Uh, I'm always looking for those American angles, although he is not American, but it is the American, the league in this country. So uh, Don Garber yeah. is going to have a big tweet, big big tweet. Yeah, he'll be welcomed back with a, a parade and and all that. Um, that's the the Argentina side. I I just want to mention something about the French side too before we move on and, and talk with Jeff Carlisle and put a bow on the U.S. in the World Cup. But you know, I mentioned this before. Uh, look, obviously, there's a lot of intrigue. Mbappe, the game that he's going to have. I've talked about Griezmann. Just the fact that France are going for two in a row. But specifically, I'm just fascinated by Deschamps and the way he's perceived. Because there, it just feels like there's this Berhalterian view of him <laughs> in some ways. Uh, where, like, results... Uh, and obviously, this is a much larger scale. Deschamps has a World Cup to his name. Berhalter has a Gold Cup. Uh, so I understand that the parallels are not exact, but like there is sort of with Deschamps a little bit of like a results be damned sort of feel about him. He's got a World Cup, but people think that France, that it, with all the talent they have, it could look so much better than it does, uh, that it could be so much more dominant sometimes than it is. Uh, and yet, like he's probably the favorite right now to repeat and, and do a thing that I think only three other managers uh, have even done to this point and gotten to two consecutive world cup finals i mean like this is rarefied air that he's in now never mind the fact that he he captained a team who also won a world cup like at some Any point European you have to you kind of have to look at this guy and say like he's just he's a born winner and like people i feel like are, are not have, have been very slow to give him his flowers and i feel like if he does this are people still gonna fight and say yeah but it's it's not what i it's not what i thought it would look like well so the hell what if he's got two world cups to his then he did it right then he did it right you see, that is old, old capitalist Andy there. He wants to see the bottom line. He needs to see revenue. He needs to see... Trophies! That. Why they play this sport. Yes, yes, that matters to me. I, I guess that makes... Yeah, I'm weird. I'm weird that a manager who wins back-to-back World Cup finals should be, should be credited in some I, way. I'm not disagreeing with you. And there's, I mean, a better comparison would have been Southgate than uh, Burholder, I think. Um, because... There's just a general feel with a, when you get this like amazing crop of players together that you, you are almost duty bound to produce something that is beautiful, something that is artistic. And he's gotten them to the final of Euro 2016, uh, won the World Cup in 2018, and now they're back in another World Cup. And it's hard to argue with that. And the, the artistry and the beauty comes in the flashes of greatness from Griezmann and particularly from Mbappe, but everything else is a little bit more 
a little bit more functional, a little bit more cautious, and a little bit more compact. Yeah, I mean, we've spoken about but, this. But you've said before about international football being set up to play that This way. This is how you win now, I think, in the international game. And look, it's sports are cyclical. So you know, in, in 10 years, things may change, and, and maybe the game will open up a lot. But right now, we're in this moment where I feel like if you look at the teams that are successful, this is kind of the style that they play. You know, see if they can get an early lead, set up shop, you know, defend, uh, bite you on the counterattack. I just think a lot of these teams in the international game right now, they're not, I don't know, they're not together enough to really practice enough and get chemistry down where they can just become this intricate machine, you know, that can break down stout defenses. And I think that this is... This is the most effective way of winning, and maybe it's not always going to look as beautiful as you want it to look. There's still certain teams that are maybe capable of doing it, but JJ, how many times are we going to talk about Brazil? Okay, they, they refuse to play that way. Talk to me when they get past the quarterfinals as a favorite in this tournament. They're the favorite every time this tournament rolls around. They can't get past the quarterfinals, and the one time they did, they got flattened at home 7-1 since 2002. So like, I think we just have to, like, we can hate on Southgate, hate on Deschamps, no, but at a certain point, we have to say, look, this is right now in this moment, this is what winning football looks like. And if you don't like it, that's kind of on you. But if you want to win, this is the style in the international game. So I'm, I'm just I'm fascinated if they can they can do it again. I, I really am. I'm so looking forward to Sunday. Um, and we got the third and four plays playoff for, on Saturday, which I think. Yeah. Eh. I mean, I, look, I, I heard I was reading a little bit about that from the Moroccan perspective. And they are still, it's not the game they want it to be in, but there there are still people there who say it would mean the world to them to go out with a win and finish third in this tournament. Yeah, and I, I mean, it would be absolutely just stunning. Uh, but I wonder, I mean, they're the walking wounded right now. So yeah. I, I wonder, what how, will they be able to rally? But then again, Croatia, you know, they've experienced um, their fair share of football too in the tournament. So, but yeah, I'm just... I'm I'm kind of I'm getting to that point where I'm like getting nostalgic already about a tour about the tournament. The group stage feels like a lifetime away. I know the quarterfinals were so compelling, and now 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 there's just gaps, so such such long gaps between games. I'm I'm ah. You you sound like what I sounded like after the first week of the tournament when I was already stressed about it ending. See, I I'm, made peace uh, with it a while ago. I'm good now. As a kid. I would watch the tape. So I would record, I had this thing of recording every goal at the World Cup. So I did it for USA 94. I did it for France 98. I did it for Euro 2000, right? And um, I was too old in 2002. I was like, I can't keep doing this. And after that, those tapes would sustain me. I would watch them on a loop. And I, you know, I go, I, I, I watched the goals. I even used to watch the way the ball would nestle in the net. So what would happen was you'd never get the goal live because you're watching it. You don't know when it's going to go in. But I would press record the minute the ball hit the back of the net. So I'd have all these goals on replay. Just and the, I think that's the end of them. Like no, like the the the, the replay from all the different oh, angles okay. of the goal. All right. So, but but that's where I got this weird like kinks I have about you know nets. And the oh, rotations of the it's ball. It's all making sense. And grass. All that stuff came from like... And I'd have replays also of... Maybe I'd record the last 15 minutes of a game I was really into. Yeah. And I'd have replays of guys coming up and I could tell you what boots they were wearing. Uh, you talk about Morocco, I remember. Uh, Cheapo and Haji 
and wearing those Puma King boots. They were red and they were green. It was just, oh, it's amazing. And, and all this stuff sticks with me. And now I'm, I'm feeling like that child, that boy, um, at the end of this tournament. It's amazing. Yep. And I'm 40. Jesus yeah. Christ. And that feeling never leaves up. you. It's, it's genuine. Nope. It's pure. I think it's beautiful, JJ. Thank uh, you. Where, where are you going to watch this one? Don't know. What are we going to do recording-wise? That will dictate. Because I can't go out and get tanked and then come on the podcast and go, you know what, Andrew? I don't like you. I don't like anything you do. My, <laughs> my plan was for us to uh, record immediately after the game. Okay, well then I'm watching it probably close to home. So. Okay, so that's my thought. But I'd like to. Yeah. I would like to have um, either we go uh, YouTube live stream, perhaps, or uh, like we oh. did after the U.S. games. I think okay. a World Cup final dictates that sort of uh, sort of action. And don't worry, we'll double publish the live stream as well. Yeah. Although good. you should join us for that, just to watch me and Andrew. Sure, um, I'll be at my uh, my parents' house again. So I'll be in oh. a little basement area. Yeah, it's a little Hanukkah oh, party. The, Come on, that's all right. The bunker. Yeah, yeah, I'll be down there. <laughs> um, I can't wait though. I mean, you're right. This this is this is gonna be so much fun. This is uh, a a beautiful final. It really is. I, I'm extremely excited for it. This tournament's been so good. I guess sometime next week we'll have to do some kind of retrospective on just like our favorite moments from this tournament, uh, our winners, our losers, all that kind of stuff. Throughout the course, we got to get to Jeff. Month. Jeff is waiting in the green room. I He's know. eating all the canapes and champagne. Is it champagne too, in our green room. Yeah. Oh, okay. Since we become a business, well, yeah, we are now marked. Elon has marked us as a business on uh, on Twitter. Oh, so that's what the gold check is versus the blue ones. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. I guess Concerning. that was an important thing to do. I, I don't know. Whatever. Um, but yeah, so let's go to it now. I mean, we've obviously done a lot, JJ over the last i was going to say over the last few days it's really been the last several months on the uh the u.s men's national team and uh kind of at the end now like the cycle is is really done they've obviously been out of the tournament we had the the news cycle of the geo reina greg bearhalter stuff and now it feels like players have gone back to their club teams and we kind of recede back in into the darkness but not yet not yet. We still need to put. We an got one more on. leadership summit. One more leadership uh, summit. Let's hope there's many more. I mean, we need more leaks. Clearly, the, the, this is where you go for news to leak is leadership summits. Uh, but we put an exclamation mark on the U.S. coverage in the best way that we possibly can to talk with one of our favorite guys who was over there covering the U.S. from ESPN FC, Jeff Carlisle, back on the show. Jeff, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? We're good. We're good. We're happy to talk to you and kind of. Kind of go through this uh, bit by bit. Before we do, though, um, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't want to start on on a sad note, but but I did want to ask you before we even get into the the World Cup stuff. Grant Wall, Jeff. I mean, you and Grant have been on this beat for a long time. Uh, it was stunning news to those of us who knew Grant a little bit. You knew him quite well. Uh, I guess I'm just curious how you're how you took the news, how you're handling this. Yeah, I mean. I had just gotten back to the United States on Friday and, you know, I, it's a, it's a 15, 16 hour flight direct from Doha to, to San Francisco. And I mean, I got back home and I was exhausted and finally about four o'clock, you know, I just told my wife, I'm, I'm going to, I can't, I got to go to sleep. I mean, I got to get some rest. And, and then she woke me up about three hours later to, to ask me if I'd seen the article about Grant. And I'm, I was like, what are you talking about? And so I 
got out my phone and I saw the news and I just, I'm still wrapping my head around it. I mean, I still can't quite believe that, that this is, this has happened to a guy so young, so vibrant, um, full of energy and ideas. And it, it just shakes you to your core. And, um, and I, I don't even consider myself someone to have known Grant that well. I mean, we lived on opposite coasts, but I mean, anytime we were at an event together, you know, we would stop and chat and have the occasional meal. And um, we did get stuck in St. Vincent. I remember during the, the 2018 cycle because our flight got delayed. Um, well, actually we had to, we were in the air, we had to turn around and then they delayed us by 24 hours. Um, so I was uh, with Grant and his wife, Celine, uh, uh, during that 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 layover, extended layover, I guess, and um, yeah, so you know, we get we got to know each other quite well, you know, in, in that period. But I mean, so sad. I mean, it just and it's just not right. I mean, again, the, he had so much more to give, I think. And I mean, the thing that will always strike me was just his generosity in terms of of praising the work of other journalists who who cover the sport. Um, I mean, it's a competitive business that we're in. And, and I just speaking for myself, I sometimes I, I just kind of lose sight of, you know, telling someone, hey, that, that was a great story you did or that was a great job you did with that. And so Grant was always a reminder that, you know, you can you can work hard, you can be competitive, but, you know, you can be generous, too. And um, I mean, that's kind of what I'll. I'll take away from knowing Grant, you know, I'm making mental notes to myself to, to praise others and, 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 and call them out and, and, and help others, you know, when, uh, when the opportunity arises. So, I mean, there, again, there's so many lessons that we can learn from Grant and um, it's just, it's just awful that, that he was taken from us so soon. Yeah. Uh, really horrible. JJ and I spoke about it at length the other night. It got, you know, a lot of people have been emotional about this, understandably so. And it's, uh, it's been truly, truly difficult. It was, uh, it was stunning, really stunning mm-hmm. news to to find that out. I think knocked the wind out of a lot of people in this industry and and beyond. And you know, there's no, there's no smooth transition, obviously, from that to to the soccer itself. Um, but we will, we'll do the best we can. This is, of course, why Grant was over there was to cover all this. And uh, and so let's go right into it, Jeff. I mean, I guess we're, you're kind of taught never bury the lead. So I'm going to just dive right in, Gio Reyna. Uh, let, let's start, I guess, with some of the basic background. I mean, the story that, that came out about how he was nearly sent home, um, this kind of petulance in training, not running hard you know, to the point where the team had to speak to him and he had to apologize in front of the room. I mean, when you heard this, how out of character was this for Reno or was it not necessarily out of character at all? Um. I wouldn't say it was a 100% out of character because just looking at his body language on the field, sometimes, you know, he, he would kind of gesture and, and sulk if something didn't come off quite the way that he hoped, or if a teammate didn't do what he expected them to do. But I mean, this is the world cup. I mean, this is a, a player so young. I mean, you're getting an incredible opportunity this early in your career to really make an impression. Um, and so from that standpoint, you know, e- even if you take at face value, you know, Reina's 
uh, portrayal of events where, where Berhalter sat him down and said, you're going to play a limited role. You know, you would think that his response would be, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to show you that I have to be on the field. I mean, I'm going to bust my butt in training and, and every single sprint and practice and exercise and drill. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to buckle down and show you. And instead, you know, we got the opposite reaction. And so that is really disappointing. I mean, to hear um, when you, especially when you consider the guy's talent. Um, so I wouldn't say it was 100% out of character, but, you know, it's still kind of shocking when you, when you think of the, the stakes involved and, and, and where he was at. I mean, the event that he was participating in, you know, you, you got to just, you got to buckle down and, and try to, again, try to prove to your coach that you deserve to be on the field. And he didn't do that. And so I think that kind of, that kind of soured the whole, I mean, I don't think, I don't think Berhalter really trusted him after that. I mean, he only went to him really for extended minutes when there was kind of no other choice. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you're two nothing down at halftime to the Dutch and you, you get, you got to, you know, you got to do something drastic. So, um, and then, I mean, I am really surprised by what Berhalter did after the World Cup. I mean, I, di- I just don't understand what he thought he was gaining by re- referring to, you know, the incident the way he did. Um, even if you think it's going to come out, even if you think it's going to come out, you know, <laughs> let that happen. And then, you know, you know, don't cause players to kind of doubt you and lose trust in you yeah, because you're yeah. kind of talking about something that happened behind closed doors. So I'm, I'm really surprised Berhalter went that route. Yeah. I, I, I'm assuming that was a paid speaking event. And I, as I said to Andrew on, on, on the last podcast, I said, look, he's in a room with, with people who are either wanting to gain knowledge or are captains of industry themselves. And they're here for this moral leadership. So he's asked for an example. He's going to go to the recent World Cup example. He should never have put himself in the position where he had to talk about that. Because in fairness to Reyna, like it should have been done. When Reyna says, I thought I was forgiven. Mm-hmm. I mean, surely that is the point where it's done and you don't talk, tell tales out of school. Uh, do we know what U.S. soccer's reaction is? Not, not to Reyna per se, but to, to Bearhalter speaking at that event. Um, I'm assuming that it... it, it it happened with their blessing because, you know, U.S. soccer tried to get the, the message out that the conversation, you know, his, his words at that conference were off the record. Now, <laughs> I mean, that kind of takes a leap of faith. I mean, a huge leap yeah. of faith. I mean, because these are not journalists. These, you know, they're not going to feel as beholden to those words as, you know, a CEO or, you know, like you said, a captain of industry. I mean, they're just not. And so, you know, that, I, I think that showed really poor judgment and to kind of fall back on the fact that, well, it was off, supposed to be, you know, completely off the record. I mean, you know, again, you can't really count on that. You just kind of can't. shockingly naive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, um, and I mean, I think for the most part, Berhalter handled this situation well. And if he wanted to, yeah. if he was giving that speech and he wanted to refer to a real life example, he could have talked about Weston McKinney. I mean, because right. all of that was out there. All of that was, was public. And, 
you know, including who it was, what he did. And, you know, he, he, he could have just easily bypassed it and said, well, I can't really talk about the World Cup, but, you know, I'll talk about this other thing that happened during the cycle. And that probably would have been enough. But I, I think, JJ, you're right to a degree that he, he was in a room where I think he felt <clears throat> compelled to, to impress people. And, you know, I think he kind of got, you know, <laughs> a little bit of a Jedi mind trick, you know, caused him to, to, to maybe divulge something that, that he really would have been better off leaving alone. Yeah, I think the real revelation was that he flew from Chicago to Turin and back just for lunch with Weston McKinney in one afternoon. Unbelievable. What kind of budget are they operating with at U.S. soccer? Um, Jeff, you, you touched on it before, and I want to go a little bit deeper on it um, with the, the Reyna-Bearhalter conversation and Bearhalter telling Reyna before the tournament that his role would be, quote, very limited, according to Gio Reyna's statement. Can you shed any light on that? Because it very limited also feels very subjective. I mean, do we know any more about that conversation or, or just even just how unusual it would be for a manager to tell a player of that caliber, something like that before a tournament. Unless you thought you were going to have problems down the road, if you didn't communicate it. Um, mm -hmm. I think it, it struck me as like a preemptive move. You know, Burhalter's thinking, well, he, he's not going to start. I'm, I'm going to start Polisic and Wea on the wings and I'm going to stick with whoever as, as the number nine. And so, you know, I think, and maybe he was trying to light a fire under him too. I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities, um, you know, that, that he hoped it would, it would spark something, it, you know, it light a fire, you know, just that you, you could use it as motivation. And so, I mean, again, there, there's all kinds of, of possibilities. I don't have any additional insight there, but um, I, I mean, one thing that strikes me though is, you always hear players, you know, when they talk about managers, hey, you know, he didn't always tell me what I wanted to hear, but at least he told me. At least he communicated to me where I stood. I always knew where I stood. And so I I, I think an argument can be made that that's all Burhalter was trying to do, was tell mm -hmm. Reyna where he stood and, um, you know, see what kind of reaction he got. Um, I don't think he expected to get, the, you know, a guy kind of sulking in training and, and not working very hard and, and, and basically, you know, pouting. Um, I, I doubt seriously that that's what he expected, but, um, you know, I think in, from Burhalter's standpoint, he was just trying to be honest and, and, and being straightforward and um, try to, again, try to maybe light a little bit of a fire under Reyna, um, but it didn't work. Jeff, um, where, where do you see the managerial position right now? I mean, is there any feeling about Bearholder being renewed, continuing on, or is there any sense of, of what's happening there? I mean, a week ago, before all this came out, I would have told you I'm expecting Berhalter to be rehired. Now I'm, I'm okay. not so sure, um, hmm. you know, because – you know, I was hearing about how they were going to sit down for talks. And, you know, I think the general sense was that the team did well. Um, I, I think they hit their limit. I, I don't think, especially given who the opponent was, I don't, I don't think a quarterfinal spot was something that this team had in it, especially given the lack of production at the number nine. Um, now I'm, I'm not so sure. I mean, you know, that Burhalter talked about this, you know, that this Gio Reyna situation and almost believes 
leads me to think that he didn't think there was any downside. So now I'm thinking, gee, is, is he coming back? Um, you know, I think, you know, my sense is that U.S. soccer wants to take a breath. Um, and, you know, they, I think especially when, it, you know, I mean, some of the reporting that I did around it in terms of, you know, hey, they're, they're, they're poised to sit down and, and try to hash this out. Um, but, I, you know, Berhalter also has ambitions of coaching in Europe. Um, the extent to which those options are available, I mean, it's, it's kind of tough. It's in the middle of the season. So it's not like mm. there's a bunch of openings, you know, at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I, I went from feeling pretty certain that he was going to come back to now not really being sure at all. Um, I will say, personally, I'm not a fan of, of second cycles. I mean, and, and listen, I get the stats at this World Cup where, what was it, five out of seven or six out of eight of the, yeah. of the quarterfinalists were, were managers who were on their second cycle. For whatever reason, it has not worked out well for the U.S. at all. I mean, Bradley didn't make it. Klinsman didn't make it. Arena made it through the 2006, but that cycle was, you know, finished in disappointment. And so, you know, I just do think that the message does get stale. And I think it's going to be a real challenge uh, in terms of, you know, what are you going to do for the first two years? You know, there, there's likely, I mean, I, I say likely not going to be World Cup qualifying. They're not going to play any qualifiers. You know, I'm hearing the talk about Copa America like everybody else. I think that would be a great competition for the U.S. to participate in um, and would make up for, you know, the lack of qualifiers. But, I mean, there's there's a special kind of pressure that happens in World Cup qualifying. And the fact that that will likely not be there. I mean, how is, how is a manager going to fill the days? Um, you know, how are they going to, how are they going to fill up their time? I mean, it can't just be phone calls and, you know, and friendlies. It's, you know, I think that's going to be, that's, that's going to be difficult. And so, um, so we'll see, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, but you know, like I said, I, I'm not really a, a fan of, of the second cycle. Um, it, it, I don't think it would be necessarily a bad thing if they got a fresh voice in there, but, you know, who would take it? I mean, who who's, you know, who, who's a candidate where, you know, it, it's worth it for, for U.S. soccer to, to kind of part ways with Greg Berhalter? I mean, yes, I've heard Pep Guardiola, but, I mean, that's, that's supposedly <laughs> that not realistic? for another couple of years. I mean, yeah. and again, I, I think – you know, I just, I don't know that the job is that attractive if you don't have a, a steady stream of competitive games coming along. So, um, I mean, and, uh, sorry, the Nations League doesn't do it for me. <laughs> I don't think it would do it for a lot of managers. Um, no. So, we'll, again, we'll we'll have to see how, how it, you know, goes down. But, um, yeah. It feels I, like another call to, to Dave Sarakin is coming down the pike. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's two friendlies at the end of January against <laughs> Serbia and Colombia, I think. And so uh, someone's got to take the reins. I mean, and, and Luchi Gonzalez, one of his assistants, is already taking over San Jose. So he's not going to be available. I mean, who does that leave? So it's, um, you know, who knows? Maybe they come. Maybe they hit upon some kind of temporary arrangement where, where Peralta runs the show for that month. But, I mean... Again, that that just feels awkward to me, without getting this yeah. this, this situation settled. So, um, you know, it's 
take a breath, but don't don't wait too long. I mean, I, I think the USSF probably wants to get this this figured out. Yeah, certainly. Um, Jeff, one of the things that Greg Berhalter that he has spoken about repeatedly and that I think he mentioned also in the in the leadership summit that also came out is that, you know, the big message that he's been trying to hammer home with this team over the last few years really is trying to get them to change the way the world views American soccer. Uh, so here we are now. The World Cup is over. They performed. They got out of the group. Did they in any way achieve that? I mean, I think that depends on what your time horizon is. I mean, if your time horizon is four years ago, then definitely. I mean, I think, I mean, that was the absolute nadir of the program, um, just the absolute low point. And so I think, you know, Berhalter deserves some credit for rebuilding this team. Um, I mean, you can call it easy, but I mean, these guys still had to perform at their clubs. And he proved to be very adept at recruiting dual nationals, whether it was Serginho Dest or Yunus Musa. I mean, Ricardo Pepe was in play there for a while. Um, so I, I think he did really well in that regard. Um, you know, I, I think he probably changed the perception a little bit if your time horizon is longer. Um, it just seems like every World Cup, the, when the U.S. gets eliminated, uh, A, well, we showed the world that we're, we're changing, and we showed the world this, yeah. we showed the world that. I remember it in Brazil. I remember Jurgen Klinsmann talking about how oh, people didn't know we could play like this. I mean, <laughs> that, that was a bit of salesmanship on the part of Klinsmann, I would say. Um <laughs> I mean, I think there was a little bit more meat on the bone this time around to kind of hang your hat on because I think the U.S. did possess the ball well. I think, you know, tactically they started these games prepared. Um, uh, you know, they were on the front foot to start a lot of these games. Um, but, I mean, chance creation is still an issue, in my opinion. And so, I mean, even you look at the numbers and, and people say, oh, well, it – the, the, you know, the optostats, they say they, they created X chances. Well, a, ch a chance is just a, a pass that leads to a shot. I mean, there's there's a little – you have to kind of put it in context. And so, yeah. to me, this team did not create enough quality chances, and that's really always been a, a real sore point for, for the U.S. Um, and this team did not have goal scorers. I mean, mm -hmm. you look at the 2010 team with, Dom with Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey, those were two goal scorers. And yes, Pulisic did some good things on the field. I mean, Wea had some decent moments, but there just wasn't anyone on that team who I think was just money in front of goal. And uh, even at, at, a, at a Donovan or Dempsey level. And so, you know, from that standpoint, I mean, I, I think the U.S. still has a ways to go. Um, so, it, you know, I think to say that, that it's new or, or different. I mean, I, I think it was an incremental step forward, but I don't think it was this sea change or, you know, giant leap that took place, you know, compared sure. to, to previous teams. But there's a, there's a, I, th I do feel there's a general sense of, of optimism. Mm -hmm. Is that, and, and, you know, there were things we saw in the games I, and I know the goals weren't scored, 
And I know that chance creation is even an issue. There was, I don't know how many crosses were blocked or cut out. Like they never really got to the point of a shot. But mm-hmm. I left watching, particularly say the England game, with a sense that this is a US team playing in a dramatically different style from the last World Cup that they were at, like with a much more clear identity and with some young players that could genuinely bring this forward. Would you agree with that? Yes, to a point. Um, you know, this is a young team and it's a talented team. Uh, you know, I, I agree with that. Um, but this is, you know, creating chances, scoring goals is still the hardest thing in the game. And so, yeah. you know, it, to me, it's, you know, I think in one of my pieces, I said an inch is as good as a mile. I mean, yes, they, they're, they're much better on the ball. I mean, I think, you know, you, you look at it, the U S was able to knock it about. I mean, some of that was circumstantial. I think that, you know, the Netherlands kind of invited that. Um, and, and we're, we're really content to kind of exploit the U S in transition, you know, especially on, on the, on the left side of the U S defense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I see incremental improvement, but I mean, I, I still think, you know, I just I still think on the attacking side there still has to be a fair bit of improvement before they are really legitimately competing on a consistent basis with an Argentina or a, a Netherlands or a Croatia even. Um, yeah. And it just it, it, yes, there's hope because these guys are so young, and you would expect that they're going to be hitting their peak, you know, in, in 2026. Um, but man, I, I hope to God that they're able to find a, a striker that, that really, really can make opposing defenses sit up and take notice. I mean, maybe a Ricardo Pepe is that going to be that guy eventually. I mean, he's still so young and he's got a lot of developing to do. I mean, um, but, you know, like I said, I, I've heard these platitudes at the end of every World Cup and it's... You know, I, I guess I'm just a little bit jaded and cynical at this point. Um, <laughs> That's fair. You know, and listen, I want to see that improvement as much as anybody. I mean, I've been covering this team as a journalist for over 15 years, um, you know, at the starting of the tail end of the, the 06 cycle. And so you want to see these things. Um, but Jeff, they owe you, know. you a striker. <laughs> they do. And like you know you want to see these things but it's it's hard it's it's just not easy um i i think there are more players coming through the pipeline who can potentially uh be be outstanding players but you know this is this is a moment in time that everyone everyone keeps saying oh 2026 i'm like man you got to take advantage now i mean you know you don't know when this chance is going to come again i mean I think back to players like Stu Holden and, and, and John O'Brien. And like, I remember, I remember at the end of the 2002 world cup and thinking the U S midfield is set with John O'Brien. He's going to be there, you know, for, and the guy got waylaid by injuries and same thing with Stu Holden. And I mean, you just don't know. I mean, and then, you know, people talk about Gio Reyna and the guy's injury history is not the greatest. I mean, yeah. he's really struggled in the last, you know, 15 months. So you're, I'm hopeful that, yeah, more of these guys are going to break through, especially on the attacking side. But, I mean, there are no absolutes. And so, 
you know, we're just going to have to take a wait and see attitude and, and see, you know, how things progress. Jeff, uh, last one for me, kind of a broad one, not so much about the U.S., but about the World Cup in general. You were there. There was obviously a lot of curiosity about how this tournament was going to go with Qatar as the host nation. There was a lot of negativity about it, justifiable negativity, I think a lot of people would say. Um, in the end, uh, you were there working, so your experience might be a little bit different, but I'm just curious, from your vantage point, how has it gone? Did it, If you were a fan there, did it appear fun? Were the stadiums good? Was the infrastructure up to speed? I think there's a lot of us back here in the States that watch it on TV that were that were just very curious about what it was actually like there on the ground. You know, I, I think from a fan perspective, uh, to me, everything looked really positive. Um, yes, there was some issues with in-stadium protests, whether it was the rainbow flag or whether it was uh, Iranian expat, you know, expatriates trying to, to, to make their voice heard. Um, so I, I think there were some negative fan experiences. I think for the mm. most part, they were positive. Um, the infrastructure, from what I could see, held up really well, whether it was the, the roads, the traffic, the subway. Um, you know, I think for the most part, construction projects got done on time, at least the ones that were really necessary. So I think for the most part, it was it was well organized. Um, you know, I did feel, you know, the security sometimes felt a little heavy handed. Um, mm. Not like that I was physically pushed around or anything, but it, there were always reminders that you were being watched and, you know, the powers that be were in charge. I mean, it, it, this is going to seem like a, like a nothing incident and in a lot of ways it isn't, but Pal Bonagura and I went to the, the technical study group meeting at the media center and it was like in this kind of concert hall type venue when we sat in the upper deck and we they scanned our badges and we went in and then a couple minutes later they're like you have to move and we're like why <laughs> well there's seats downstairs and and it, it's 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 kind of a nitpicky thing but i mean those things kind of add up over time and so yeah like we're in charge we are in charge you're not watch yourself and mm. you know and then um you know we were talking about grant wall earlier obviously he ran into to some issues with with the shirt that he was trying to wear and other fans mm -hmm. uh or some fans did as well and so it, it just it was a not so subtle reminder that yeah this is um yeah we're in charge and and then we're going to be watching you and so uh that's kind of uncomfortable but you know, I also remember walking down the the Souk Waqif and and the which is like the local market and fans sitting outside in cafes and you know enjoying themselves and you know after the first week the weather was fairly pleasant it, it wasn't too insufferably hot um, and you know I think for a lot of fans of, of African and, and Arab teams it was it they were getting access to the World Cup in a way that they'd never had before. And so sure. I think that was a real positive and, and you could, you could feel a lot of positive energy coming from that. And so, you know, with every world cup, there's going to be positives and negatives. And, um, you know, 
I, I think for the most part, it, it was positive, but it, it will be interesting to see what happens to the country after the circus leaves town because um, they want to be more of a tourist hub. That invites change. That, that invites a kind of a clash of cultures, whether it's, you know, the extent to which the LGBT community, uh, LGBTQ community can be, you know, allowed to exist. And the migrant worker issue is still ongoing. I mean, I think they're, They've made some strides and some Qataris that I talked to were, were quick to point that out. But I think it needs to keep going. It, it needs to keep progressing. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see the extent to which that that is allowed to happen. Uh, not, you know, now that the World Cup is just a few days away from ending. Good stuff, man. Your coverage all throughout was fantastic, as always. Uh, we appreciate you giving us some time. I'm sure you're probably still decompressing a little bit. <laughs> Uh, having returned and getting used to the, the time zone changes and all that. Um, can't thank you enough, Jeff. I'm sure we're going to be keeping a keen eye, of course, on the U.S. managerial search or rehiring or whatever it turns out to be. And uh, we'll be in touch with you as that continues to play itself out. Thanks again, man. Anytime, guys. Oh, Jeff. Jeff giving me that feeling of validation, Andrew. Um, because we are of a shared mind about Bearhalter going to that leadership conference mm -hmm. and and, and talking about that, um, we got a, by the way, the comments on YouTube for the piece we did, people should go and listen to our actual thoughts about the whole thing. They're on YouTube, go there, endure the ads. The ads aren't that bad guys. And, um, and just watch us talk about this. But, but what's interesting for me about it was that someone left a comment. All right. He disagreed with us. That's fine. Sure. He starts, he goes, I would tell everybody to go and listen to Total Soccer Show. They had a much more balanced, or I think he used balanced or, or whatever, opinion about the thing. As if we were like crushingly down on Bearhalter and like elevating Reina up or whatever. And it's amazing. When I read the comments back sometimes, and I love that people comment because that pe means people are engaging. But it's amazing what people think you've said. Wait, How that was the takeaway that we crushed Bearhalter and and praised Reina? No, well, I think I I mean I can't remember now, but but um, huh. but first of all, don't like Total Soccer Show is great. I, I I'm under no illusions that people listen to other podcasts, but like you should go and listen to them. Listen, you listen to us for our opinion. You don't like our opinion, critique our opinion, but you know don't start trying to pit us against some other podcast. All right, <laughs> you little twerp. <laughs> that annoyed me, um, but. But even just some other comments too. It's like, I remember David Bowie, and I'm, I'm not comparing us to the music of David Bowie, but he said this thing about once you put music out there, he said, then it's up for everybody else to interpret. <laughs> they will take whatever meaning out of it, even if it's not what you meant. They'll, they'll find a, it becomes theirs, their own. And I guess that's the same with podcasts. I thought we were, I thought we just talked about it. Yeah, you and, don't have to justify it. Whatever. I'm I don't fine. know. I'm fine with it. I don't know. I didn't feel biased one way or another. We've been, I don't know, that it was kind of a stream of consciousness of just like we had all just kind of learned about these revelations and we were just sort of voicing our thought process as we were kind of thinking our way through it. I don't, I don't and I, I judge us, I, I guess. I don't know. I, like, I, we're just, I don't, we're I just mean, kind of think, feeling our way around through like a weird story. Ultimately, feedback's good, and uh, but like, yeah, that 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 one kind of just annoyed me. It was just, it was just that it was the um, 
YouTube comments can be a dark place, JJ. I'm, yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know that I'm listeners... ready to venture through there. I, I like the Reddit space. Twitter every <laughs> once in a while, sure. But you want to get into YouTube comments? Have at the... it. I, 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 that's where I leave you. No, these were fine, mostly. 100%. No, all of them were fine, actually. Even that one by the senior twerp. <laughs> you know, they, <laughs> like they were all fine. Um, but yeah, go go and go and listen to our, our commentary on it or watch our commentary or whatever you need to do. Uh, JJ, uh, I'm tapped out. This was a lot. So am Two I. semifinals, uh, uh, more USMNT decompression. This was this was so much. I guess I leave you with this. We got to make a prediction. That's that's part of the rules of all this. Uh, I oh, don't know. God. I don't know that I have logic to back this up. I just it's just how I feel right now. I, I can't. I'm not giving you reasons. It's just how I feel. Two one Argentina. I was going to say exactly the same thing, so I get, that's exactly how I feel. All right. Well, there you have it. It's but the by the way, position of this podcast, that's not based on much. And in fact, wouldn't shock you if France ran not ran away with it, but sure. um, won the game. But just uh, wouldn't. Just it's just where I'm, my head is at. I don't know. I can't explain it. Just a feeling. Sometimes today you feel Argentinian. <laughs> Thank you, Johnny. Uh, hey, this was fun, my friend. Thanks again to Jeff Carlisle. JJ, to you, I say. Check you later, phone boy. See you, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 